like to welcome you again this morning here in the church to worship the Lord. And I would again like to welcome our TV viewers. You are very special to us. We value you and we appreciate you that you take the time to settle down in your lounge room and watch and learn and listen to what we are presenting. And I want to pray that God will bless you. And we're very glad we welcome you to the program this morning. The title of today's Bible study, sermon, time of preaching is for the pleasure of it. For the pleasure of it, let's pray. God in the heavens, we come before you. We acknowledge you as the high king of all, as the ruler of the universe and the ruler of this world. And we pray that your Holy Spirit, who is everywhere at once, who calls men to follow you, will come into this church, will come into the homes of those watching, and will give them a supernatural calling to follow you, Jesus. May they experience the peace and the joy that only comes through following you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder what in life motivates you. Maybe I could take that question one step further. If you are a Christian, now I realize that some in this church and some watching this on television are not Christians. That's fine. But if you are a Christian, what motivates you to be a Christian? I remember when I used to be a builder, a young man became a builder at 20 years of age, started up my own business, very, very challenging time for me. I remember waking up at four o'clock in the morning, getting into my truck, heading off to work and waiting in the petrol station, eating breakfast for the sun to come up so I could see clearly enough and begin to build. I built many houses by myself with nobody else as I got this business off the ground. What was my motivation? I want to tell you straight out, it was money. And then there was my football. I loved to play rugby union and then 15 years of age I swapped to rugby league football. The training, the pain, the consistency of it, the motivation, well it was to win and to win with my fellow rugby mates. Then there was my study at Avondale College. Saturday nights when I wanted to be out having fun in my room, studying, afternoons in the library, painstaking research, assignments, exams, huge cost. It was a private university. My motivation, well, to pass, to get a job, and ultimately to become a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Then there was Diane, young, beautiful, she was a dream. I'm living on the Gold Coast. She's living in Sydney. Airfares every second week end to the Gold Coast. Phone calls two or three times a day with huge, huge phone bills. The motivation? Well, to marry the girl, which I did. To have a family. To build a life and to grow old with this woman who I learned to love. And finally, there is God. He made me, he gave me life, he watches over me. He's coming back one day to save me from this dying planet. I serve him, I serve him with all my heart, with all my soul and with all my life. I serve and I'm proud to acknowledge that I am a servant of the high God of heaven. My motivation, what is my motivation for serving God? And for those of you who do not serve God, who do not have him in your hearts, who have never experienced him, what would motivate you to allow Jesus into your heart, 
to go through a conversion experience? What would motivate you to let him inside so that he turns your life upside down? I've often asked myself that question. What is it, what is it truly deep in my heart that motivates me to follow God? Is it because he's coming again? Or perhaps I serve God because it's the end time. And I want to tell you that if you, if you read the Bible and study prophecy, as we plunge deeper and deeper into the end of time, we are indeed in for very, very troublesome times. Do I serve God because it's the end time and I want to be on his side and I want him to protect me and I want him to take me through? Maybe I serve him because of the promise of heaven, of a beautiful mansion beside the living waters of that wonderful river in heaven. To live eternally, is that why I serve God? What is my motivation? Why do I serve God? Why do you serve God? Or why would you consider serving God? What would be, what could be, what is your motivation? It is a good question, and I believe it's one worth asking. And one worth getting an answer for this morning. What is my motivation for serving God? What would motivate you to serve God if you're not? I want to take you to a story in the Bible. It's a good story and perhaps it'll open the curtain and give you clear reasons why you should serve God and what would motivate you to do it. It's a story of Enoch and it's found in Genesis chapter 5. Now, I happen to believe in the Bible. I must admit to you that I have found great peace in this book. I have had a change. I have Jesus come into my life. I've been converted through the power of God, and it's a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I am unashamed to stand here this morning and acknowledge before you all and acknowledge to our TV audience that I believe in the Bible. I believe the stories of the Bible. I believe what the Bible says about life. I believe what the Bible says about death. And I believe what the Bible has to say about a future beyond death and beyond this life. And so when I read the Bible, being a believer of the stories, they are, the Holy Spirit is able to penetrate my heart and convict me with these stories. Of course, that's why they're put there in the Bible, to convict you, to lead you to Jesus. And this story is a particularly interesting one, and perhaps it will encourage you to have the right type of motivation in your efforts to follow God, or as you look at God, perhaps it'll give you a motivation that is pure, so that you'll have a relationship that will last. Let's have a look. Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. This is before the flood. Yes, the world was covered by a great flood. There is plenty, plenty of evidence everywhere of a great flood that covered the entire world. Only Noah, his wife, their three sons and their three wives, together with a whole bunch of animals, in the ark came through that flood. True story, of course, it happened. The evidence is everywhere. Sometimes we as a society just need to open our eyes and look at the science a little bit more carefully and perhaps a little more fairly. This is before the flood. Genesis chapter 5. So this is at the very beginning of the world. And we read something very interesting. Genesis chapter 5. And I want to take you to verse 5. Talking about Adam, the first human being to ever live on the earth. Adam, the Bible says, altogether Adam lived 900, yeah, 930 years. Then he died. I don't know what was going on before the flood. 
I don't know what type of world they lived in before the flood. There's no doubt that the flood changed the world. It changed the biology of the world. It changed the way things work in the world. But before the flood, we have men of giant intellect living giant lives, long lives. Adam lived 930 years, the Bible says, then he died. And Seth lived 912 years. Genesis 5 verse 11, altogether... Enosh, here's another son, lived 905 years. And so it goes on as you read Genesis 5 through this list of ancient heroes, long living men of giant intellects, their lives dedicated to a true God, preserving the old ways in a world becoming increasingly wicked. And in the middle of this chapter, oh, this is interesting. In the middle of this chapter, Genesis Chapter 5, we find an amazing story. God has a relationship with a man that shakes the powers of darkness and stuns the watching universe. Amazing story. Genesis chapter 5, verse 18. Look at this with me very carefully. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. This man, Jared... He lived 162 years. Then he has a son and he calls his son Enoch. Now stay with me, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Interestingly, Methuselah is the man we know in scripture, in recorded scripture anyway, who lived the longest. He lived 969 years. Methuselah actually died the year of the flood. He lived 969 years, but Methuselah's father, Enoch, is who we're looking at this morning. Verse 23, altogether, Enoch lived 365 years, not a long lifespan back then, but something interesting happens. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. You go back to the ancient language and you find that what it is saying here is that Enoch had such a close relationship with God that finally God said, Enoch, I can't live without you. And God came down and he translated Enoch to heaven. And to this day, Enoch lives, and he's one of the few human beings who does, in heaven with God, translated. What a relationship with God Enoch must have had. And I wondered, as I looked at this story, what was Enoch's motivation in walking with God? Well, I can tell you what it wasn't. He can't have been worried about an approaching flood. He couldn't have been saying, God, I'll follow you because there's a flood coming, because he never knew about a flood. He never knew there was a flood coming. God never told him. It can't have been an expectation of the second coming and the end of time and worried about the trials and the tribulations about those who would live through the end of time because Enoch never knew about the end of time. He never knew about the troubles and the trials headed to this world. What was it that motivated Enoch to walk with Jesus? I thought about it. I meditated about it. I went back to the Bible. I read it. I went to, I, I went to concordances. I went to Bible dictionaries. I searched as far and wide as I could on the story of Enoch. What was it that motivated Enoch so strongly? 
that he had such a deep relationship with God, that he sought him out so much that finally they got so close, God said, hey, I can't live without you, and translates him to heaven. What was it? As I meditated on this, as I thought about it, I wondered, could the primary reason, the primary reason Enoch walked with God, could it be that Enoch walked with God for no other reason than for the pleasure of it? Simply for the pleasure of it? Enoch enjoyed, it seems to me as I read the word, being in the presence of God. There's nowhere he would have rather have been than in the presence of God. And so when Enoch would wake up in the morning, he would go seek the presence of God in prayer because he enjoyed God. Enoch would spend days, he would spend weeks, he would spend months in the wilderness. Go and study the story. And he'd be out there seeking God simply for the pleasure of it. Here's a man who enjoyed the presence of God. He took pleasure in having God as a friend. He enjoyed being in God's presence. He didn't get into God's presence because he wanted eternal life. He was in God's presence because he enjoyed it and it was giving him pleasure. He wasn't in God's presence because he, he was wanting God to give him something, to take him through some trial, to get him through some hardship. Enoch was in the presence of God because he enjoyed, for want of a better word, hanging out with God. He enjoyed being in his presence. And I wonder this morning, do you enjoy being in the presence of God? Do you wake up in the morning and your first thoughts are of God? Do you begin to, to, to talk to God as your mind becomes conscious? Do you jump out of bed and rush down stairs while everybody's still asleep and the sun's still coming up over the horizon and open your Bible and begin to read your Bible seeking the presence of God like Enoch would have if he was alive today? Do you take great pleasure in being in the presence of God? I want to tell you that one of the, one of the biggest problems we have as Christians today, and I'm talking to those who are Christians, one of the biggest problems we have is we don't really enjoy being in the pleasure, presence of God. We don't get any pleasure out of it. We'd rather watch football than be in the presence of God. We'd rather go down to the beach and go to church and be in the presence of God. We'd rather go out with friends and get on our knees and be in the presence of God. We take no pleasure in God, and so we don't seek His presence. And I want to tell you, if you don't know God, the motivation that should pull you to him is to try what it is to be in his presence and i want to tell you for a human being to be in the presence of god is the most pleasurable the most pleasurable experience bar none that you can have and i wonder how many of you in the presence of god are there because of the pleasure of it and no other reason i read this book called patriarchs and prophets written by one of my favorite authors ellen white she studied the story of enoch and by the way, I'd just like to let you know, if you would like this book, I talk to those of you in the church and I talk to those of you on television. It's called Patriarchs and Prophets. If you would like this book, all you've got to do is email us or call us on the number on screen and we will give you this book for free. It's called Patriarchs and Prophets. It's about the patriarchs and the prophets of the Old Testament. It's one of the most amazing, amazing books I've ever read. And Ellen White says in this book, talking about Enoch, and it gives us a glimpse into what I'm talking about this morning. In the midst of a life of active labor, Enoch steadfastly maintained his communion with God. 
The greater and more pressing his labours, the more constant and earnest were his prayers. He would withdraw to spend a season in solitude, hungering and thirsting and thirsting for God. Communing thus with God, Enoch came more and more to reflect his image. His face was radiant with a holy light, the same light that shines from the face of Jesus. I'm no Enoch. I wish I was. But I must acknowledge that I seek God for no other reason than the pleasure of it. I'm going to say it again this morning. The finest experience a human being can have is in the presence of God. You get into the presence of God by studying your Bible. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a free one of them too. By studying your Bible as you open the book, it's supernatural. The presence of God descends upon you immediately. And you begin to experience what Enoch did. As you get on your knees in prayer, I want to tell you that the presence of God comes into your life. And it happens. It doesn't happen instantly, usually. Not all that powerful to start off with. But it's there. And the more you pray, the more time you spend in the Word, I want to tell you, the more the presence of God becomes a delight to you. And that is a motivation for you seeking God. Do you get to the point in your life where you get up and you do seek God immediately? You come home from work. You have dinner with the family, you do what you've got to do, and then you go seeking God. There'll be times where you will go away for weekends, sometimes by yourself for no other reason to seek God. God gets into your heart, He gets into your mind, He goes deep down where nobody else can go. He gives you peace that you can't find anywhere else. And you begin to seek Him, not just because of what He can give you, but for the sheer pleasure of it. It is pleasurable to be in the presence of God. I live in Sydney. Four million plus people. Like the rest of you here in this church and watching this on TV, I'm busy. I'm caught up, make no mistake, in the hustle and bustle of this city. I'm struggling to survive and yes, I'm struggling to get ahead. I get caught up in the secularism and the worldliness of this great city too. I like new cars, beautiful houses and great holidays. I like to see my superannuation going ahead. I'm trying to build a, 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 a property portfolio. I'm not going too well with that, but I'm trying. We're doing everything, and I'm doing everything, except spending much needed time in the presence of God. It's what the human race, it's what the people of Sydney need. We're running around. We're thirsty. We don't know how to quench that thirst. We're hungry. We don't know how to satisfy that hunger. You may say, well, I will never experience what Enoch did. It's just not in me. I'd like to know what, and I'd like to experience what you're talking about, Pastor, but I'm never going to experience it's not in me. I'm not like Enoch. I can never walk the road he did. Well, let me share something with you. Enoch was the father of Methuselah. Methuselah was the father of Lamech, and Lamech was the father of Noah. Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. Now think about that for a moment. The blood of Noah, because he was the one with his family who came through the flood. The blood of Noah runs in every one of us, each human being. On the face of the earth today has the blood of Noah running through them. And if we have the blood of Noah running through us, we have the blood of Enoch. Enoch 
is in our lineage. He's one of our ancestors. It was one of our fathers that God translated into the kingdom. The blood of Enoch runs through every one of us. And if our father Enoch can seek God and find pleasure in him, then why can't we? I recommend to you the God of Enoch. I recommend to you the Bible. I recommend to you prayer. I recommend to you weekly church. This is where you will find the presence of God. This is where you will enjoy God for what he is. A wonderful saviour, a great God, and you will worship him not because of what's coming or what he can do for you. You'll worship him for the pleasure of it and nothing else. Let's pray. Jesus, may the motivation that drives us into your arms be for the pleasure of your company and your presence in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen.